0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: The Athletic.
2: Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, The Athletic's Everton Football Club podcast. And we're joining you on Thursday afternoon, just after Everton's part one of what Conor Ancelotti deemed to be two definitive games in the side hopes of getting into the, the top four. So far, a draw. So we kind of stalemate and we think ahead to Saturday and Newcastle United at Goodison Park to see whether or not they can get the win that they need. Um, and then, as Ancelotti said, we'll know more really about whether. Champions League is realistic. We'll have a look at why he said that and what he might mean later in the episode. But first of all, hello, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whatever time you're listening to this in. And um, me and Paddy can see each other for once doing this because we've decided we've decided to try and do it over. Well, we are doing it over Zoom. Sorry about that, Paddy. So you've got to see my abomination of a haircut. But there uh, we go. Anyway, how are you doing?
1: <laughs> it's, it's nice, isn't it? It's nice, and um, it's just a shame, I think, for listeners that they're not able to see. Greg's lovely assortment of pictures and, and plants. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot better than my slightly dishevelled-looking apartment that needs to <laughs> So no, it's, 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 it's good to be back doing it this way. I think that would always be, be my preference. And obviously we can we can talk again about an interesting week, couple of days for, for Everton Football Club. Um, a, a slight warning to all listeners. Just before we started recording, the builders of Liverpool descended on my apartment or close to my apartment and started to start drilling holes in various things. So if I get slightly irate at any point or you start hearing some drilling, it's probably that. It's, it's ideal for podcast as we know, and as, as, as I'm sure producer Tom would, would, would tell us. Yeah.
2: Our long suffering listeners probably f- fully aware of the array of noise. That's why I've gone for all this foliage, just to try and absorb the sound. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. So, like I said at the top, a draw last night, a one all draw with Leicester. At times it felt like we were clinging on, at other times it felt like we were actually going to see it out. Leicester didn't come back into the game until the 67th minute uh, through Yuri Telemann's equaliser. But before we get on to that, let's start with the goal, Everton's goal. James Rodriguez. Got the right foot, eh?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it's a load, a load of things to say about the goal, and the first one obviously is the fact that it's on his supposedly weaker foot.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Just an unbelievable bit, bit of skill from a player that conjures up these moments time and time again, and has done throughout his career. That's why Everton brought him to the to the club over the summer to make the difference in the final third. I almost thought when he shaped up on his left foot in the second half and looked to bend one towards the corner of the Gladys Street net, yeah. I almost kind of expected the net to bulge there as well, given yeah. the quality he possesses. But the fact that Everton took one point instead of three from this game is quite evidently not on him. I thought he put in a real shift actually, without the ball, made a number of tackles at times, overzealous in his tackling. He obviously, he obviously picked up a yellow card. But I thought it was a really committed performance from him, and not another one of these that dispels this old wives' tale about him not being able to play football in the in the cold. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the ridiculous old, old wives' tale. Good good performance from him, just a shame obviously they couldn't get over the line in the end.
2: Do you think does it feel as if basically he's now put to bed? Any suggestion that he's not it's a stupid question in a sense, but that he can't do it in the Premier League because he's doing it in the Premier League, albeit I think we're still to see his his top level. But he's doing it in in the sort of climate and conditions with the congestion of fixtures that we were sort of concerned, maybe from what we've heard. But he is doing it. He did it on Sunday. He did it last night. And um, I feel as if now he's, again, feels like a, obviously he's a fantastic signing, but in every sense, not just as a, a PR builder or someone to put on activations in Miami and, and New
1: York. Um, it looks like he's the real deal, despite not really happening for him in Bayern. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting, isn't it? That we've even got a debate as to whether he's good enough for the Premier League when you look back through his career so far. We're talking about a guy that in 2014 was effectively the best player in a World Cup. Mm. Score is, for my money, one of the best goals I've certainly seen. That the volley against. Uruguay, just just unbelievable again an unbelievable bit of skill i think from a quality and a technical standing there should never have been any doubt as to whether he could adapt to the premier league he's, he's just that good he's he's elite level if you if you rank and obviously we don't do this normally but if you rank the left foot in the world in terms of ability where's yeah. he he's probably up there in the top one two three potentially oh, got the, to be
2: You've got got yeah, Messi, um, Messi, 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 and then him. are up there,
1: basically, aren't they? Messi and then messy and then him. I'd, I'd agree with you on that. So I don't, I don't think there's ever been a doubt in that sense. I think my slight concern and I stress slight here before people start screaming at their uh, their devices um, was his ability to do it time and time again physically in the league.
2: He's obviously yeah. had his injury
1: yeah. problems before. He's never really in the last couple of seasons played more than kind of two thirds of his side games. And Mm -hmm. last year with with Real Madrid, he hardly played at all. So we've seen injuries from him so far in Everton. What we know is when he does set foot on the pitch, he's he's more than good enough to influence the quality of matches. And I think he benefits, he's one of those players, he benefits from having a sustained run of fixtures. So Mm -hmm. he's better in game two than he is in game one. He's better in game three than he is in two. Um, And it's just managing those injuries, making sure his body, is is up to the task. It was against against Leicester the other night. It has been on numerous other occasions. And at times you just have to sit back and enjoy the fellow, don't you? You have to enjoy yeah. the thing that he does. Um, yeah. Everton attempted to grind out a result against Leicester. Um, the the you take the light in the moment. That kind of move away from that, and where Hammers or another player conjures a moment of of kind of magic. So so yeah. Mm. Just a shame, it like I say, just a shame that it, it wasn't the match winning goal because then I think mm. we'd be talking about it time, time and time again.
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. On the game in general, um, I think uh, you know, you got everyone's reasonable enough to, to accept, and, and you wrote a piece uh, yesterday, sort of in advance of the game that. Uh, the, it was imperfect in terms of what we could select from in midfield. Obviously we were without Abdoulaye de Courier and uh and Ancelotti sort of had to find a way um, and as it was, uh, as you predicted actually, uh, he, he did use both Tom Davis and Gomez um, Dean was was played further up and it was a bit of a amalgam of the Wolves team with extra, extra strike power really, wasn't it? I think everyone knows that in, in many ways I've got concerns over Tom Davis's long-term ability to be part of the the first team. But I don't think he was an issue yesterday. I thought he played well for me. Um, I can't say the same about Gomez. um, And I just think in general, we invited them on too much. I mean, they're a really good team, aren't they? But by the time they did score,
1: it felt like it had been coming. I don't know if you you agree. I'm going to answer this best best I can. I do and I don't. Leicester obviously were penetrating the Everton box. They were getting into dangerous positions. But I thought, again, Michael Keane and Yerry Mina were outstanding. Ben Godfrey are left back in the main. Outstanding in the work they were doing to make those last ditch blocks and clearances. They didn't really, if you look at the chances Leicester had up to that point, they didn't really carve out what I consider to be a clear-cut opportunity. It wasn't a glaring chance, but the best probably fell to James Justin around the penalty Mm. spot, even then. It's kind of a 50-50 opportunity at best. What they did do, though, was they did put Everton under an enormous amount of pressure. I've, see, I've seen some people criticise yeah. Angelotti for that approach, and I don't think that's quite fair, because without DuCore and Alan, you cannot expect Tom Davis and Andre Gomez to go both ways for 90 minutes, not against this quality of opposition. Yeah. And it, In effect, it was working, wasn't it? It was working for 65 yeah. minutes. Um, Leicester didn't create much as as I'm saying despite having loads of the ball where I did take issue with Everton is in what they did when they won the ball back often it would be kind of quite an aimless punt downfield to Richarlison Mm. so they just didn't manage the game enough for my liking when they did get possession back as a result it was just wave of wave after attack and I think it was going to take a mistake it was always going to take a mistake Everton players under incessant pressure at times. And it was always likely somebody was going to crack if Leicester scored, yeah. as it happened. I think Jordan Pickford obviously should do better for the goal and he'll he'll know that himself. Comes through bodies, as Ancelotti has said, mm-hmm. but it's not strong enough. It, it's kind of quite a limp wrist, if we're being honest. Yeah. So again, annoyingly, there'll be discussion about Jordan Pickford after this one and his, and his presence in goal. I'd also like to point to the fact, by the way, that they missed three really good opportunities at the end, Everton. Um, so it is not just, it's not solely and totally on Jordan Pickford. Um, Calvert-Lewin, I think, should score his header, at the very least get it on target. Charles oh, really? should, should do better yeah. with his. And then I'm screaming from, <laughs> from some of the television at home, I'm screaming at Andre Gomez to hit the shot first time instead of control trying to oh, control no the God. ball on a really wet and zippy pitch. He just made it 10 times harder for himself. Mm -hmm. So there's a combination of things here, but all things considered, given the players Everton were missing and in the positions they were missing them in, I don't think it is the worst point in the world. It just feels bad because it's gone, we've gone from having one, three points in our grasp to that being reduced to to, to one. Great that is back on Saturday. Um, and we move on if if they do beat Newcastle then it's it's obviously uh, it's four points in a week and they'll still be slap-banging that mix for for the Champions League
2: Mm, yeah absolutely as you say it was going to take a mistake and unfortunately in the end it was Pickford and the more that happens the debate about his long-term future as well will just rumble on Um, I think in fairness I wouldn't be massively surprised to see Robin Olsen start on Saturday and nor would I be disappointed but he's done well Yeah, he's he's been doing well. Yeah. But then, you know, Pickford had kept the mistakes down to a minimum recently. So it's frustrating in that regard. But in terms of the obviously transfer window now looking away from matters on the pitch, it closes on Monday. We're now on Thursday afternoon and things look as if, as ever, they're starting to happen towards the back end of the window And, and bear in mind, <laughs> for Everton, most things will happen probably on on, uh, on Monday morning, <laughs> afternoon or evening. Yep. <laughs> but today, for example, there's an update in the pad uh, already. There's
1: uh, one notable player who's, who's gone out. Yeah, so Yannick Bellassi has completed a loan move to Middlesbrough, takes him up to the end of the season where he's then out of contract. So that, you would assume, is the last we'll see of Yannick Bellassi in an Everton jersey. I put a piece on the site this morning uh, after an update on the site late last night, where it was kind of made quite evident that Middlesbrough were in the box seat for Blassie. But not so long ago, we were told that it was Sibispor in, mm. in Turkey. And I hope, I hope I've hope pronounced the club name correctly. My, my Turkish is not a strong point at this moment in time. Uh, but Sibispor <laughs> were on one stage in, in the box seat. Things have moved quite quickly. Uh Personal intervention from Neil Warnock, who obviously coached belassi at Crystal Palace. And like I say, that's the that the last we should see of belassi at Everton. So it's it's the first step in a process where they are going to try and trim the squad. We've been quite clear in that in our reporting that it was one of those windows where Everton would look to get players out, many more players out than bring in. Mm-hmm. I think the, only, the only thing that changes that for me is if Totten does leave, as we've reported, he, he may well do. Um, CSK Moscow are one of the sides interested in him but aren't the only ones if Tosin leaves you look at that Everton front line and it then effectively just does become Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison and I think that would be a concern heading into the the second half of the season a potential warning sign so let's see what happens I think John Joe Kenny is one we should monitor he's attracted a bit of interest from Burnley but has gone Bernard could go if Bernard stays, maybe Anthony Gordon goes out on loan. All these things, kind of all these places a lot in the mix. A lot in the mix. We need to juggle. Um, what happens with Tosin has an impact on potentially what they look to do with strikers in terms of incomings. So yeah, it could, could could be a busy busy couple of days as as ever with Everton. As you say, it always tends to transpire this way. What what are your feelings on it? Are you are you feeling as though Everton are well placed moving into the second half of the? The season, or, or do we need a little bit more quality to get over the line?
2: Uh, I I don't think it would be the end of the world if it shut as it was, but I do think that to, to be more confident of getting over the line, uh, and if they're really serious about the top four, I do think they need a little bit more quality, um, uh, specifically obviously in, in attack, um, especially if Tosin goes. I'd be astounded if Tosin did leave that nothing nobody came in. Um, I'm intrigued by the persistent rumours over Joshua's exit. Really, I—I um, I mean, obviously, it's—it's it's something you and I have been chasing and and putting calls in about the speaking to people, and and the fact of the matter is that it's just quite a complicated one. The the the, the setting is quite mixed. Some people at the club are distancing, distancing themselves from any suggestion, uh, but then we hear other things that make us think that that might be something to it. It's, I mean. He's an exciting young attacking player. Was he the profile of a sort of player that we, we would go for that I thought we need? Not particularly. It um, feels a bit like another, uh, when I say raw potential, obviously, he's still elite, elite level because he's coming from Bayern. So, you know, you put him in the category of, say, Moise Keane, but there's a reason why Moise Keane's out on loan. Um, Xerxy hasn't played as much for Bayern as Keane had played for Juve, for example. Uh, He's had very limited first-team football for Bayern. So uh, that doesn't fit the profile of someone who's going to come in and and, and propel us to the top four.
1: If indeed he is going to come in, I thought it'd be someone more experienced. What what do you make of that? To me, he strikes me more as a long-term Moise Keane replacement than a replacement for Jenk Towson. What I mean by that is Keane is kind of a project that you work on over two, three, four seasons. And yes, he'll give you something in the short term. But what you're actually looking to tap into is long-term potential. Xerxes is even younger than Keane at 19 and will be very much in the same ilk, in the same mould. Tosin is 29 and obviously Ancelotti has backed them to come off the bench at times this season in in a bid to kind of turn things around. What I think Everton need is somebody who could, let's say, for example, if the worst happened and Calvert-Lewin picked up a serious injury, I think Everton needs somebody to come in and do a comparable job. And that's it's a really, really tough ask, particularly in January. And particularly given the limitations budget-wise at Everton's disposal at at this moment in time. On Xerxy, I think it is something that's more I would say when you talk of Everton joining the race to sign this guy, I would say it's almost look at it a slightly different way. I think Everton are slightly more passive in this, and it becomes Maybe people are trying to get Everton to join the race. Yeah. yeah. Um, as in he's he's available. Bayern seemingly don't believe he's going to be up to the job long term, so they're trying to cash in on him, and they're trying to drum up interest. Mm. And that's I think when somebody looks at Everton and goes, "Would you be interested in this player?" Now Everton are highly unlikely to 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 need or want a striker if Tosin does stay, but there's a chance Tosin leaves. So so let's see. Like I say, I think it would be imperative for Everton to bring in some kind of forward and preferably an experienced goal scorer. But that's such an enormous task if Towson mm. leaves, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It really is.
2: So we're just going to have to watch this space. But um, I do think that someone has to come in if Tosin goes. It does increasingly feel like we will go, so I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about on the podcast next week, put it that way, when we we come to assessing the window.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
2: We're talking about squad depth, and and, and you know obviously um, it, that doesn't always mean players that we can bring in. There's the academy, which clearly for a while has been something we've not perhaps been able to get players from there into the first team as much as we'd like. Um, Tom Davies and, and uh, Anthony Gordon, you mentioned earlier, being the notable exceptions. But on Sunday there were two new ones. Um, now anyone who who's read our stuff, particularly what you've been writing this this well, say this year, last year. We already know all about Tyler Nyango and Thierry Small. But maybe we'll have been surprised to see them quite so soon in the first team, especially Small, who at 16 and however many hundred days became our youngest ever first team player on Sunday. Um, really interesting, but the subplot, particularly with Small, is why he was given that 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 game, why he was brought on. And whether or not he will still, and his advisors will still feel There is a inverted commas pathway for him.
1: Yeah, that that is the interesting thing, as you say. They're both very talented. They're both really highly rated, and I think they're considered to be part of Everton's future. Hopefully, if they continue to progress in the same manner. But in both cases, I think their debuts have come slightly earlier than you would expect expected, and they're based in part on circumstance. Now for Anyango to come off the bench, you've got to look at the overall situation in midfield and Everton are missing an awful lot of midfielders at this moment in time. So they were able to, given that they were coasting against Sheffield Wednesday, bring on a young player and give him some minutes. Yeah, it was Obviously around the the, the uh, first team for the game against Leicester and on the bench. But Everton are going to have Ducouré back soon. They're going to have Ireland back fairly soon. Fabian Delft's back in full training. Jean-Philippe Gabamin. The lesser spot of Jean-Philippe Cabamin will be back, we're told, at some point in the in the relative near future. To, to How finish. many times have we said that? <laughs> <laughs> We've said that an awful lot. And yeah, even Carlo Ancelotti raises an eyebrow every time you <laughs> asked about that one. Um, but that, that amounts to an awful lot of bodies coming back for Everton. So he is talented on Yango, but he only got into the under 23s last season, really, and, and started to make a name for himself there. So that was a product of circumstance, despite his talent. With Small, I think it's even more interesting because he's younger. 16, became Everton's youngest ever player, if you believe the record books. Um, with him, Niels and Kunky was out, so they were yeah. short of left-back depth. But they are also trying to convince him that there's a pathway here. And that's quite an interesting one. He's still a, an academy scholar because he's touted around as one of the best left-backs in England, in the age mm. group. There's quite widespread interest in him. And um, if he does go over the summer, for example, let's say he, got, he leaves over the summer, because he's not on pro terms yet, Everton wouldn't be entitled to very much money at all in terms of mm-hmm. compensation for him. <laughs> yeah, It's important Everton get that one over the line. As we understand it, and as, as I wrote on the site a couple of weeks ago when I when I first spoke about Thierry Small, Everton are keen to tie him down. They are speaking to his representatives It is considered to be all about the pathway. Uh, And I know that gets kind of bandied around a lot these days, but it's considered to be about can Everton guarantee that Thierry Small is going to be close to the first team picture in the coming season or two. Mm. So the fact that he's on the bench and that he comes on and becomes Everton's youngest player, that's also a little bit of Everton showing him that the opportunity is there if if he's going to seize it. So, so, yeah, I, I was delighted, to be honest. That was one of the highlights, even though Everton won comfortably and played some really good football. Another one of the highlights of Sunday for me. The fact that we saw those two come on and yeah. make debuts, reward for all their hard yards. I don't know if you saw the videos after the game where they were both interviewed by Everton. Just both visibly delighted to play. Yeah, yeah. Well, for, yeah. The Everton, <laughs> for the Everton first team. There's something endearing about that. It'll never not be endearing, so... A good night for Everton's first team, but a good night for the academy too. Let's hope there's there's positive progress on on Small's, Small's future. So, like I said, talk started last year, and have continued into the new year. This is a, a good step. <laughs> Everton have shown that that he will get time on the pitch.
2: Absolutely, and and of course, as well as the, as those two, uh, there was the well. We don't need to go. We we said all oh, we need to say really about James Rodriguez, but just what a performance! Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, there was something else notably with an Everton player over the weekend and it wasn't quite it was quite as savoury Jared Brantway someone who Evertonians quickly took to heart last season when he was sort of thrust into the first team spotlight through necessity uh, not not long after joining from Carlisle um, and what we didn't maybe expect was the level he was able to to play at and, and looks a real talent part of his pathway has taken him to Blackburn on loan but I don't know if 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 listeners will have, will have spotted it, I'm sure they will have seen it on social media. Um, it was quite a, an unpleasant incident, really, and one that uh, I think Neil Warnick, obviously, the Middlesbrough manager, who, who's uh, just pictured, as we speak, with his arm around Yannick Blassie, should know a lot better than um, when the two teams played over the weekend. Just uh, remind us what happened there, But
1: Yeah, so before we, we go into the specifics of what happened, I think, Everton probably need to insert something in Balassi's contract which says that Neil Warnock's no longer able to speak about uh, Jared Brandfoot, <laughs> <Certainly laughs> so certainly not able to harangue him in any future uh, in any future matches between Middlesbrough and, and Blackburn. Basically, what happened was Jared Brandfoot went for a ball. He's playing on loan at Blackpool, uh, Blackburn, sorry, and looks to clear a ball in the penalty area. Misses the ball and catches Middlesbrough defender Dale Fry very high up to the face. It's, mm. it's practically by the eye, and Fry. Oh, it the, was a bad. It was a bad one, wasn't it? But it was. It, yeah, yeah. Listen, listen. If if the referees and the official the, the officials had done their job, that would have been a penalty and probably a sending off. I think we need to be clear about that. But what you don't need that the young kid did attempt to clear a ball. He wasn't cynically trying to. Or maliciously trying to hurt, they'll fry. And these things do unfortunately sometimes ha- happen in football. <sighs> they particularly happen if you're a young player. So what we don't need is a 70 plus man, rather embarrassingly, going up to Jared Branthwaite at the end of the game and kind of ranting and raving. I'm glad some of the I'm glad Tony Mowbray stood up for him. I'm glad some of the Blackburn players stood up for Branthwaite as well. What I would say is that I watched that game after the incident. Mm -hmm. They kept kept the clean sheet, Blackburn, and he slotted in seamlessly. And he's exactly as he did at Everton when he would make a mistake when he came into the, the side. He made his mistake for Blackburn with the tackle on Fry. He was lucky that he wasn't punished, but then he went on and recovered very quickly from it to deliver what I thought was a very composed performance from an 18-year-old kid. Uh, he's, he's such a talent. People, mm. <laughs> anybody, you'll be sick, Greg, of hearing me talk about Jared Branthwaite. Our editor, <laughs> Craig, will be sick of hearing me talk about Jared Branthwaite. He's such a talent. He's got a lot going for him. And I think it's great that he's got, he's going to get minutes in the championship with, with Blackburn this season for the remainder of the season. And he's going to be able to develop his game. He should come back a better player for Everton. And we all know that he, he should well be part of Everton's future. So, yeah, slightly embarrassing. Maybe Neil Warnock needs to uh, needs to just have a think about that and also realise that Everton have done him a bit of a favour by giving him Yannick Pellassi for the end of the season. So, enough. Enough. Let's move on. He's 18. <laughs> I sound like Neville Southall, though, don't I? He's 18. <laughs> <laughs>
0: FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub. An official partner of The Athletic.
2: Okay, well, as we mentioned earlier, we've got uh, another really important game on Saturday against Newcastle at Goodison Park. Let, let's just start with Saturday's game, Pad. They're obviously on a really poor run of form, and uh, Steve Bruce has been rumoured to be uh, for the chop at St. James's Park. Um, however... You know, without being alarmist, that kind of almost, almost makes them risky territory for me. <laughs> I, I don't mean to be cynical, but I'm almost a bit concerned that when a team is in such desperation stakes. I guess if he's still got the dressing room, then then they could be really fighting for everything on yeah. Saturday. Uh, I think we sh- still should have enough uh, to overcome them. But my mind just is dragged back to our last game against them in St. James's Park which was just a terrible, terrible, terrible afternoon. <laughs> um, what do you make of this fixture? You'll be covering it for us, won't you? So yeah. Um,
1: what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, the, the two things. The, the first is that it's a completely different proposition for Everton to hmm. games in recent weeks. Instead of having 40% of the ball and the opposition having 60 turn the tables there. Everton going to be, a, going to be yeah. the one that are needing to be the aggressors. They're going to need to show more creativity, more depth to, to their attacking play. I think there's a case, with that in mind, I think there's a case that you more or less shelve the approach we saw against, yeah. um, against Leicester. That instead of having what was effectively four centre-halves mm. across the back line, I think you have Luca Dean deeper in his preferred position at left-back. I think you have Seamus Coleman at right-back. James still in the number 10 but I'd be looking to get Iwobi back in to commit players, probably Richarlison on the other side of of Calvert-Lewin, and a much more kind of expansive game plan. Everton, let's be honest, Everton have struggled in games like that over the last six months, over the last 12 months. I think they are in some ways better suited, even with Hames and the team, just soaking up pressure and then striking from a cross or a set piece. Mm -hmm. That's what is slightly worrying. Newcastle in turn, just send shivers down my spine a little bit because of not only that game earlier this season, but the one last season, a game that I also covered at Goodison, where somehow, despite Everton being the best team for 90-plus minutes of that game, they somehow managed to get a draw in injury time with with two very, very late goals from from a player, seemingly in Lejeune, that doesn't score goals against anybody else. So, So, um yeah, I've, I've, I still kind of wake up with in a cold sweat over <laughs> over that game. Yeah. And then I'll, I remember the day after, very early in the morning, getting a message from one of our editors. And it was just, we need to have a look at the final five minutes of that game to see where it went wrong. for <laughs> and, and I was just thinking to myself, that's probably the last thing I want to do there, folks. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to revisit that at all. So I, I think... I think it is. It is going to be more of a challenge than people, maybe credit, and maybe realise at this moment in time. That being said, I don't think there is any excuse here for Everton. They are better players. They're in a better run of form. They're at home. All of those things mean that Everton should win this game and should be looking to win this game comfortably um, if they play. If they perform anything like they're capable of doing. So, so yeah, an interesting challenge. An interesting challenge, but um, one. That you would hope that they're set up to deal with?
2: Yeah, yeah, you would hope so. But it is going to be definitive, isn't it? For I think for the, the, basically why Carlo was calling these two games so pivotal. You've got one game where you're going toe to toe with the side, slightly ahead, further ahead in terms of progress, but hopefully with the same ambitions. And then you go into, into a stiff, altogether different as you've outlined contest against a team that, without any disrespect, you need to beat if you're going to be capable of finishing the top. I'd say top six, really, especially at home, even given the, the lack of advantage that might bring these days. Anyway, a new section now, when we'll be looking at a bit of a look back, we'll take a look at the fixture that's ahead and we'll throw it back to uh, games of the past. In this case, of course, it's Newcastle and um, a time when full Goodison Park was very, very, very much not. It's something to be sniffed at. 40,438 fans were there in 2004, when Everton played Newcastle, we won 2-0. Uh, David Moyes, of course, was the manager, and the goals came from David Weir and Tim Cahill in either halves. We're just looking at the team for this game. I mean, listeners will know, will will hopefully remember the significance of the game, but we'll we'll go over that. We're just looking at the team, aren't we? We just set the scene, when This was a huge game for Everton, wasn't it? For some actually quite uh, reasons of parallels we've been discussing this for the current side
1: yeah so it, it's 0405 like you've rightly said towards the business end of the season and edisons still in the in the hunt for a, a top four place a miraculous top four place you could say given the quality of what well, the resources let's say at their disposal in comparison to the other sides around them yeah. and the fact that they had a very poor season the year before yeah. losing Wayne Rooney that summer. So I don't think anybody credits Everton with this kind of resurgence. But yeah, here we were, like I say, at the business end of the season, in with a real chance of a top four place. And Newcastle came, Newcastle were a good side at the time, but Everton simply had too much on, on the day for them. I, I remember the atmosphere. Goodison was absolutely electric. There was that sense of anticipation you get for big games and games against Newcastle are not normally big games, let's be honest. But this was, this was Goodison close to its very best, I'd say, because people were expectant and they knew that they could push the team on towards the Champions League. Everton competing with Liverpool for that fourth place. And maybe it'll be the same this year. Who who knows? But the win through goals from, from Weir and Cahill effectively sealed Everton's place in their Champions League uh, qualifying rounds. Yeah, if you can call it that, sealed sealed fourth place. Cahill's celebration wheeling away after scoring at the Gladys Street, thumping one into Gladys Street was something I'll probably remember for quite a long time. And they were a likeable team, that group, weren't they? Like you say, you're looking through Mm -hmm. the list of players. Um, In some ways, people maybe would call them workmanlike. I'd give them a little bit more credit than that. I thought they were good players. But what they had was this fantastic team spirit that I think almost superseded their individual quality. They were, they were yeah. kind of more than the sum of their parts. I don't know if you agree. Absolutely,
2: yeah. I mean, um, you're right when you look at it. You know, you might think, how on earth did that team qualify? Well, did, did that team finish fourth and get involved in the qualification for the Champions League? You know, Mar- Nigel Martin in goal, amazing goalkeeper. David Moyes credited him as one of his best ever signings, which is a massive shout from someone who was as good in the, in the, in the transfer market as Moyes. Steve Watson played that game, which neither of us remembered, did we? Uh, David Weir, fantastic. Tony Hibbert, yeah, absolute club, like, veteran. Um, you know, he became sometimes a little bit of a shorthand for eye rolls and wasn't good enough going forward towards the end of his career, but people forget that he, he was almost never present
1: at right back. Kind of a throwback defender who would do the basics very, very well. He was he was the kind of guy, if, if the opposition had a tricky winger that they were trying to start, he's the kind of guy that... You just back Hibbert to deal with yeah. time and time again. Definitely. Old yeah. school, I mean, he was he was he was caught in that era of innovation. You look at the other fullbacks around at the time, it was kind of Ashley Cole. And we were moving into an era in which more was expected in an attacking sense from fullbacks. But when Hibbert came through slightly earlier, fullbacks were still old school. They were still guys that made tackles, took, took the wing. The winger out at ankle height early on <laughs> and then proceeded to kind of give them a load of stick throughout the game after that um so i, I thought it was like unfair some the stuff he got um he was he was one of the best out and I'll, I'll say this he's one of the best out and out defenders i've seen at everton for a while in terms of mm. his raw defensive abilities he was dogged he was determined and now obviously he's, after football he's gone on to have a, uh, an interesting lifestyle owning a, a fishery and the in the, on the French coast, I <laughs> think. Yeah, he's a massive. He's always been into his fishing, and, yeah. and always been a bit
2: of an enigma in so many ways. Such, such a quiet, yeah. understated guy. But I agree, absolutely tenacious in, in the tackle, and probably just if he'd have played ten years earlier, still, I don't think there would have been any uh, complaints about him. But as the modern game, the, the role of the fullback began to transform. I think he was just caught at the cusp of, towards the end of his career, uh, finding that he was. Falling behind the times because obviously going forward he, he didn't he didn't really have those attributes but like you say uh, as a defender which primarily you still are when you were fullback he was uh, he was uh, excellent Joseph Yobo in that team as well the midfield um, is where you can s- sort of see why you know, you speak about the character but also the the, the excellence and why they finish fourth and um, Kevin Kilban you know absolutely incessant work rate decent okay. deliveries. Mikel Arteta, one of the best Everton in terms of technically best Everton players in the Premier League era, for, for my money, and I'm sure many. Tim yeah. Cahill, you know, we've mentioned him already, uh, and then Lee Carsley was one of my heroes uh, in so many ways, uh, and then of course up front Marcus Bent and Duncan Ferguson, who, who played that game. Um, so when you when you think you said about spirit, but when you think about players like Cahill, Carsley, Ferguson allied with this, the class of Arteta. It's no wonder really that that we had enough to score the goals to win difficult games like this. Because, I mean, making no mistake, you look at the Newcastle team, you know, and as you said, not a bad team at all. Shea given in goal. All right, defensively, um, I think, you know, Titus Bramble always had a rick in him. It, was, <laughs> it became a bit of an in-joke, didn't it, about Bramble. Um, <laughs> but then if you look at their midfield, Zogbia, Darren Ambrose, James Milner, Jermaine Jenas, and then up front, Showlamiobi and Patrick Clivert. <laughs> <laughs> with Shearer on the bench. I should add, you know, that wasn't wasn't a poor team. I'm sure Newcastle fans would look at that with and look maybe what they've had since, um, and uh, almost lament that team. So yeah. as you say, it was it was a hard fought and it was a big win.
1: Yeah, it, it absolutely was, and like we say, I don't think it actually clinched fourth place. Everton was still. Dependent on other results. Yeah. All were at Arsenal the day after, I believe. and yeah. Couldn't get over the line themselves. So, so Everton clinched that uh, fourth place. Just, just to go back to Tony Huber, by the way, did you know that when he came through at Everton, and certainly in his kind of schoolboy days, he was a very, he was deemed to be a very gifted and technical central midfielder? I
2: did. I knew he played central midfield. I didn't know that he was uh, sort of, earmarked a
1: technically gifted one I'll be honest yeah. but I knew he came through in centre Media. Yeah. yeah he'd score he'd score kind of 20-30 goals for, for youth sides and um, was eventually obviously shifted back yeah, um, yeah good. maybe I'm at risk of turning this into the Tony Hibbard show and maybe that's a good thing listen I'm here for that podcast <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah maybe we should just do an hour long Tony Hibbard special at some point um, but you, you picked up on Nigel Martin you picked up on Lee Carsley, we look back on those two as really key, important pillars, almost, in that side. I'm 29 and I think Martin is the best goalkeeper I've seen at Everton. Bear in mind that Neville Southall was coming to the end of his career when I started watching Everton play. So I I would say not only was that one of Moyes' best bits of business, but it's one of Everton's best free transfers for a good while. And then if you were, if I was doing a kind of composite 11 for my time watching Everton in those 29 years, Lee Carsley would definitely come into the consideration for that defensive Ooh. midfield place. And Everton has spent a lot of money since then on, on other players on, on midfielders. Morgan Schneidlin springs to mind. Big, big disappointment in the end. And a few others. Lee Carsley would still be there for me. He'd still be right up there. In, in his prime. Absolutely. It was, it was great to speak to him a few a few months ago for for the podcast and obviously he gave bits of insight into into that season so do check that out if you if you haven't already i've, I've enjoyed this little segment obviously it, it, it's a new one um and i'm just glad we've got the internet because otherwise my powers of recall wouldn't be <laughs> we wouldn't have anything to talk about so no it'd be, it'd be good fun
2: absolutely well uh, i hope you enjoyed it too and uh, that's that's it for this episode but do keep in touch uh, and look out for next weeks when as ever as the transfer window approaches the closer transfer window approaches and we've had this uh, modern contest against newcastle we will obviously have plenty to talk about thank you very much
1: the athletic